Hey there, No Labels, No Limits podcast listeners. Sarah Box here, your host and strategic vision coach and consultant. Today I have two guests with me. The first person is Sean Amos and the second person is Amanda Doss. And they both have come to flying and aviation from different paths. But what's really important is the lessons they've learned along the way about integrity, perseverance, why certain things are non-negotiable in life, including safety. And let me just tell you a little bit about Amanda. She's one of the flying instructors with the Flying High Again Flight Training School, which is in Smyrna, Tennessee. It's a very cool school, and we'll learn more about that. And Sean Amos is the owner. So with that as a very short introduction, you two, Sean, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, something that you think people would be specifically interested in knowing about you. And then Amanda, I'm going to ask you to do the same and then we'll dive into the interview. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on first off. My name is Sean Amos. I am one of the owners of Flying High and Flight Training in Smyrna, Tennessee. The other two owners are my lovely wife, who is an amazing encourager. Uh, she's really helped to make all this uh, become a reality, and also my brother-in-law. So it's a family-owned business. And I got into aviation in 2011 with the hopes of getting my private pilot's license, which I did. And I've been flying ever since then. But I've recently stopped my flight training to focus on the flight school itself just because I thought that there was a segment of general aviation that was really underserved and it needed a better representation. And I thought that I could uh, bring that product to market. And that's what we're attempting to do right now. So, Sean, before we move on, what is that segment that you're you're focusing your work on? So there, it's kind of twofold. Uh, our name, Flying High Again, is kind of uh, a direct reference to people who at one point or another were flying and for whatever reason, life circumstances took them out of what they love to do, which is flying. And we're trying to appeal to that market to get them flying high again. Uh, and how are we doing that? We want to have an inviting atmosphere. We want amazing instructors who really forge connections with their students and they make that first and foremost. We don't want to be known as the place where you come in, we take your money and we rush you out the door only to get the next student in the airplane. We believe in building relationships locally because I think that's going to be the lifeblood of what we do because we're making real connections. And then lastly, our main focus is maintenance, maintenance, maintenance. We think that we have to give our uh, customers are great product, but it's got to be safe above all else because I've been quoted as saying you can't pull over on a cloud and that has to be sacrosanct and that's what we're doing. So when you come and fly at our at our school, uh, you're going to be flying in the cleanest, best maintained airplanes in Middle Tennessee and we are very proud to be able to say that. Thanks. And I will say I couldn't agree more with you about the maintenance, especially for anybody who's been on those flights where you're thinking, I hope that this plane's holding together. Really, it's the maintenance crew and the ground crew. Sometimes you're thinking you depend on them to make sure everything's safe for you. Amanda? Absolutely. Yeah. Amanda, 
was interesting in learning a bit about you that you had an interesting path to aviation. How old were yeah. you? Yeah, how old were you when you first decided you wanted to fly? I've always been in love with aviation, you know, as a kid, I think most kids are. I grew up in a family of educators, secondary education teachers and I guess it was kind of expected that I follow that path as well. And um I never really thought I could fly one reason being a female another with no military background things like that that are people kind of assume about pilots I started working at an aviation camp when I was 18 and I met several people that were pilots and decided to go ahead and try to get my private license uh, I knew my parents would not agree with this so I saved up enough money and kind of did it behind their backs and uh, ended up coming to the Middle Tennessee area and um, attending university here to uh, complete my degree in aviation and earn all of my ratings. So now you're actually one of the instructors at Flying High Again Flight School, and you also teach at university. You're a professor. I am. Found a way to combine both things, my love of aviation and education as well, uh, by instructing here at Fly High again and teaching at the university. And I also understood that you are an academic advisor. So are you teaching in aviation or in another field at university? I teach in aviation. I teach in aviation as well. Very cool. So tell me a little bit, like when you look at, picture in your mind, your classroom, what percentage of the people who are sitting in the seats in front of you are women at this point? Very few. I would say uh, 5% of my classroom is female. What do you attribute that to? Lack of resources and understanding like people that want to find out more about themselves. They're scared to pursue different the typical roles of females, which, I mean, today we're kind of coming out of that, but I think a lot of girls are afraid to dabble in fields that are dominated by males for some reason. So how have, how did you do that? Do you, did you grow up around a a lot of men or was that just something part of your kind of, I'm going to go do it nature? It was a part of, I'm going to go do it nature. It was just something I was interested in, but scared to research it because I'm a female. And the camp that I worked at helped me see more of what's available. And that it's not just a female, or I'm sorry, a male-dominated industry. Females do play a part in aviation. Yeah, I've noticed, um, because I fly a lot for work, that more and more, but not very often, but more and more when the captain's voice comes on, it's a woman. And I always love it because you can watch around the cabin and go, who's nervous now? And I'm thinking, all right, it's all good. I just, because it's a cool thing to know that there it's broadening, right? Just more. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. So Sean, when, when people come to you to talk about wanting to experience flying, fly again, or for the first time, if they never have, how many of those folks tend to be women? You know, that's a great question, especially with women in aviation and months and that whole focus coming up. I would say probably 25%, roughly a quarter. 
We just did some outreach yesterday, as a matter of fact, me and a couple CFIs at Independence High School in Williamson County here in Tennessee. Uh, and we went to the high school with the hopes of just getting our school out there and letting them know where we're at and what we're all about. And a lot of the real uh, interest was mostly by girls. We spoke to a girl who was actually already accepted to Princeton. And I mean, she was going to, to major in biology, but she said she's always wanted to, to learn how to fly. And it's fascinated her since she was young. And I thought that that was really interesting that this girl is obviously brilliant in her own right, accepted to Princeton, still wants to learn how to fly and for whatever reason hasn't pursued it. And we just kind of told her, hey, I think that's awesome. You've got the desire. Come and check us out. You'll have a great time. And, and we'd love to cultivate that and, and get, you your, get you your license and see where it takes you. Do you, as both of you instruct, do you see differences in how you teach to women and men or how they experience how you teach? Are there learning differences, actually, I guess, is what I'm asking. I'm actually not an instructor. Yeah, I'm not an instructor, but Amanda, she's the instructor here. I'm it's just the you. owner. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just, that's a big role. So Amanda, share your experience in that then. I really don't. I teach to whoever I'm teaching to, whether that be male, female. I, I, I'd work with the individual and their personality type rather than a stereotype. So, so do you see women and men asking different things? I'm actually, I'm curious if there are different, if the flying aviation draws different um, types of people, you know, learning or focus types people to it. If you've noticed any kind of trend around that. You know, I don't. It's mostly just a pilot type. There's not a, a difference between male or female questions or procedures or anything. It's a pretty standardized career path. So um, I don't see a lot of differences. I see just a pilot type. All right. Now I want to know what is the pilot type? <laughs> oh, interesting. Good question. Well, I can tell you from, uh, I'll, I'll jump in if you don't care. I think that it's somebody that's very focused, very dedicated. I think there's oftentimes, you know, a cocky element to it because flying an airplane puts you in a very small minority. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just a self-confidence. It's a self-reliance. It's a security that I think is inherent to pilots because when you think about being able to go and get in an airplane and navigate from one point to another and with everything you have to deal with in between, that's a pretty cool skill set that a lot of people can't say that they have. That's what I've experienced. Yeah, there's a big sense of independence and self, not control, but discipline and decision making that has to be a natural ability. That's one of that was one of the things I know, Amanda, that you had noted um, kind of in some of your background is how important that focus and persistence has been in moving forward and the independence. So that's interesting to know there is a kind of a pilot type, which doesn't surprise me when you consider what's at stake, too, when you're up. And to your point, Sean, you can't really land on a cloud. No, so you can't. <laughs> did did either of you or both of you have role models growing up who were pilots or people who did things and you thought, I'm going to do that? 
Well, I can tell you, well, not necessarily piloting, but I got the aviation bug in June of 1985. I remember the day very specifically. My uncle, who at the time worked for McDonnell Douglas in St. Louis, took me to work with him when I was there on vacation. My mom and dad were in Hawaii, and they sent me to St. Louis. What did that tell you? Uh, joking, <laughs> just joking. But uh, he took me to work with him, uh, and I remember seeing one of the static models for one of the uh, MD-11 freight uh, airplanes, and I was just, when I was that young, I was 10 years old and I was enamored with the science behind something that big, that heavy, lumbering through the air, 500 miles an hour. And I've been hooked ever since. And so that was, that was my foray into aviation and I've loved it ever since. What about you, Amanda? I've had many people mentor and influence me over the years in aviation, but I think the true love just comes from flying and aviation in general. I'd have to say if the person that's had the most impact on my aviation career has been one of my professors when I attended university, Dr. Paul Craig. He's an amazing educator and I've always really looked up to him and he has so much knowledge about everything aviation related. And he's always been the one that's combined uh, the education side and the the flying component um, into one for me. So as you were talking about Sean, the like seeing that McDonnell Douglas plane, and then I, for mm-hmm. some reason, the picture in my head popped into like all of our movement right now and all of the proliferation of drones and people using drones. Has that impacted you and your school, or do you have any thoughts about that? Because more and more you hear that it's going to be the delivery mechanism for some of the instantaneous. You want your stuff, you get it. I don't think it's had a huge impact on us. I think it's still kind of an emerging field. Uh, I know there are a lot of people that are looking to get their drone operator license with that capacity. But as far as uh, it affecting the industry, who knows? There's a lot of brilliant minds out there who are probably cultivating things that when we finally see them come to fruition, we're going to be blown away. But you never know. But I'd say as of right now, I think it's just more of an amateur type undertaking where people are getting into drones on an amateur level, but as far as it affecting the industry, who knows? But you're not seeing it as a safety concern then? Oh, not where we're at, but, uh, you know, in all of the reading that I've done, you know, in major metropolitan areas, congested areas, you hear about near misses with drones. I think it's going, I think it's going to be an emerging concern. Uh, but yeah, it's a, is it a real and present danger? Not really that I've heard of, but I have heard that opportunity, or, or I'm sorry, instances have taken place, fortunately, with no catastrophic effects. But hopefully there's going to be some strict oversight, especially in the area of you know, major airports where hopefully nothing will happen. I'm with you on that. Hey, I wanted to ask you both. For folks who are thinking, oh, I want to learn how to fly, I know you have a really great offer to come and fly for your introductory offer, and I'm going to ask you to talk about that. But is is flying out of the, re- the um, reach of a lot of people because of the cost of it? I mean, if someone's got a dream for flying, what what could they hope to do? You know, like how expensive is it? Is it because you both have 
you know that firsthand and mm-hmm. have your own plane and all of that stuff. Well, I can tell you as far as just getting your, your foot in the airplane uh, and, and speaking to our introductory flight offer, we have a $99 introductory flight where somebody's never been in an airplane and they want to experience it and even take the control of the airplane uh, over downtown Nashville and the Titan Stadium and Batman building. That's like a 40-minute flight, 99 bucks, little investment to kind of see if it's something that you would enjoy. So that's really the first start. If someone's never gotten into an airplane and they just want to experience it without a, a lot of obligation or upfront cost, what are the major impediments? I would probably say finances because it can get costly, but I think if you structure it and you have a, a methodical approach, it's doable. You just it has to take some degree of priority in your life if it wants if you want to make that a career. And then you look at the job market right now for pilots. I mean, it's amazing. So I would ha- I would probably say initially it would be probably financial constraints that would probably keep people from flying. How is the job market changing for pilots? Well, you know, the Boeing report stated that we're going to need over 600,000 pilots in the next couple decades. And that's a considerable amount of pilots. You look at the regionals, uh, the regional airlines are hiring people with 1,500 hours, which is the new minimum, the new congressional minimum to get your uh, ATP certificate and go fly professionally. And those guys are off to the majors uh, in no time. And so there's like this constant cycling through and they can't get enough pilots. So the job outlook is is amazing. If you're looking to get paid you know, to do what you love. And if aviation is what you love, I mean, it is a job seekers market for sure. Well, and that's a great, knowing that there's a path forward, you know, for folks who want to be able to do that is, I think, really hopeful because you can Oh, absolutely. And, and if you also look too at some of the um, sign-on bonuses that airlines are giving their pilots, I've seen everywhere from 30 to with $50,000, um, there's one airline in particular that the guarantees within three years, uh, you'll make between two hundred and seventy dollars and $315,000 the first three years. That is amazing money for some um, somebody who wants to turn that into a career. And that's a great incentive as well. It is. And you think about what it costs to go to college. It's expensive. So you're making, yeah, you're making an investment in your future one way or the other. Amanda, I want to turn back to you for a minute. And are you going to stay at doing both the academic and flight instructing the avionics? Or do you see yourself becoming out like, will I find you piloting one of my flights? Well, I really enjoy the education side of aviation and promoting this field to other young people. So my plan now is to continue teaching and um, I'm working on my doctorate and flying at the same time as an instructor here at this flight school. That's inspirational. I love it. So let's talk about this cool event coming up on October 5, Girls in Aviation. It's an international day, right? Correct. It's a global event. And I noticed that it's both virtual, but there are a lot of in-person events going on. And within the United States, there's over 40 states with multiple sites within those states, plus Puerto Rico. 
doing events. Can you sh- talk about what the purpose of that is any more about that organization and how you all are connected to it? Well, first off, I think it's uh, I, we feel fortunate to be connected to this uh, upcoming event because I think uh, we could be emerging leaders in the outreach to uh, young girls in this area and trying to get them into aviation and see what possibilities exist. So, Amanda, what's happening with that? On Do you know what kinds of events are going on and what young girls or young women could expect if they showed up at one of the events? Yes, just a general overall education of aviation and really all the STEM fields in general are being really promoted at this time across the country. I think it would be kind of fun to to know that there are women ahead of you, but being you're surrounded, you know, to show up to one of those local events. I can just imagine the impact on a young person to to show up to an event to learn more and then find it's encouraging. Out. Yeah, well, and that there's like 30 people just like me within a couple of years of my age, if I'm a, a young person, or and other women leaders there too, it would be really encouraging. Absolutely. I would have loved to have had more role models growing up in that position. Yeah, I think, and I, and I, I would. I think a lot of girls would as well. I agree. It's, it's hard to know. I mean, to the point that you spoke to, Amanda, too, that in the college classroom, like, or the things like what holds people back, you don't know that it's possible for you until you look around and go, oh, there's a lot of people similar to me wanting to do the same thing. Let's go do it. And it it does kind of break down the fear factor or the timid, timid factor, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's more fun to do stuff together anyway. Yeah. And not to mention... Yep. Flying can be a little click. Flying can be a little clickish too. Uh, I, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think it would be really encouraging for you know uh, girls getting into it for the first time, and like you said, seeing other girls who have the same questions, the same uncertainties, and you know you kind of uh, walk forward hand in hand, and you guys tackle it together. I think it's uh, really encouraging to see other people who are, who are in the same position as you are. Well, and you know, I think. Sometimes you think, okay, I want to be a pilot. And Sean, when you were talking about like, well, I'm on the business end of it. Sometimes people go, you know what? I love flying. I don't know that I want to be a pilot. I might want to be in some other aspect of aviation. But until you're exposed to the field of it, you just don't know. I mean, who would know that there's a really important role for someone in education and aviation um, and aeronautics like Amanda has stepped up into if they don't meet someone like Amanda and say, ooh, I could be her. I want to be her. She flies and she teaches. So I just think it's important for people to see examples, and in this case specifically, young women. What is the closest site to you? On October 5, what is the closest site to you guys? It's going to be uh, BNA, Nashville International Airport. There's going to be a, a, a good focus there. And so we're going to try to uh, have some sort of representation there while conducting daily business like we do every day. Nice. So say someone starts with you, they take your $99. And I want to tell you, I think that's what I paid back in 1990, 85 to go up on a flight. So I want to say to people listening, 
that is really a great offer to go up for 99 bucks and get not only get to it really is oh my gosh makes me want to drive to tennessee just to do it well then you need to do it come on (laughs) well (laughs) we'd love to take you up don't i i have a list well, this is another conversation coming, but I am going to take the road with my husband and our dog, and we're going to—I'm going to do all my podcast and work remote for six or seven months. And I've got folks along the southern route that I've promised to visit. So, don't be surprised if we don't show up. And say, hey, listen, not for obligatory reasons. If you were to show up, we would make you a priority. We, that would be a privilege for us. Cool. It would be so fun. I'm just I'm just excited to think about it. However, what I meant to ask you from the beginning was someone does that first introductory experience with you and says, I'm all in. I want to start the process of getting my private pilot's license. From that point to getting the license, if things go as you would have them go, what is the time frame for someone doing that? How much book, how much airtime start to finish? What do you think? Well, the national average is 40 hours to be able to sit and take your practical FAA check ride. And that really depends on how often somebody, you know, flies and, and they build their skills. But the, the national average is 55 to 65 hours to get your private license. And I've seen that take, I've actually seen somebody get their license in 41 hours and they did it pretty quickly. And then I've seen it take years for other people. It's just how much time you commit to it, how often you know you, you really submerge yourself in the in the subject and really stay after it. So it really varies depending on the individual. So that could be, and is that like going? Could you compress it and do it? In a, I mean, how like compressed for people who are going? Well, I'm going to do this as fast as possible. If you broke those hours up over the course of weeks or months in a safe way and in a way that people actually retain what they learn, what would be the shortest amount of time? Since you said you could see people having it go longer, what is the, not just in hours, but I'm thinking in duration, like weeks? You know, I think it's really just dependent on the individual and how fast they're going to absorb it. And, you know, it's a proficiency-based system. So I think it really is dependent on the individual. But I'll give you a for instance too. We had a we had a student uh, in the last month. He was from Auburn. He was in their pro pilot program, and he was uh, halfway through finishing his uh, private pilot's license. And he, for whatever reason, they could they didn't have enough examiners, the airplanes, weather, just a myriad of issues. And this particular student came to us. He was referred to us. Um, by one of our instructors, and Daniel came here without his private license, and in eight weeks finished his private and his instrument rating in eight weeks, and that is a monumental task to achieve, and we were so proud to be able to offer that, and I think that's really attributed to our, again, our amazing instructors who really build relationships. They make real connections with their students. They understand their strengths, and their weaknesses. And this particular CFI, Ian Rodriguez, is just, he's an amazing guy, and, and he, he knocked it out of the park. But it's possible Daniel was willing to devote himself to two or three days a week flying, a lot of uh, at-home study, and he, and he did it in eight weeks. So anyone listening who wants to go on the fast track, if you are willing to apply yourself, show up 
work. It sounds to me like the flying high again instructors can meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. Absolutely. And I think the really cool thing with like Amanda, not to, not to steal her thunder, but uh, Amanda on, you know, outside of being an amazing proficient pilot, she really understands uh, the, the art of teaching and making uh, the subject or the material come to life. And she does that with all of her students. So we've been very blessed to have the staff that we do and we see our business growing every day and it's due uh, largely in part to the great people that we have working for us, Amanda being a uh, prime example of that. So I was glad to hear that Amanda as your first, was she your first female instructor? Amanda was our first female instructor. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I had always envisioned having, you know, some some ladies on our staff to really uh, appeal to other girls who may be more comfortable flying with another female. And I was right. Uh, since bringing Amanda on, we've been able to showcase her and her talents. And we've had uh, a lot of interest in flying with Amanda. So we're, we're blessed to have her. And now you tell me you've got, you just added another female flight instructor. So. Yeah, we did. Her name is JC Cornet, and her dad is a Air Force Academy graduate, pilot instructor, flew C-130s in the Air Force, and he is a captain with Southwest, and he's he taught JC to fly, you know, from the time she was young, and she's uh, an amazing pilot as well, and she's sharing her skills with um, students here at Flying Oregon as well. So Amanda, I'm going to ask you to close us out and share some words of wisdom. I want you to picture someone who was young, maybe six or seven or eight. They, a young gal who just has a huge dream. What would you say to her if she saw no path forward and couldn't even envision herself being where you are today? What words of encouragement might you give her? I would tell her to envision herself to let go and open, you know, have an open mind and research as much as you can, uh, meet as many people as you can that can help you along the path that you want to be on, whether it be in aviation or any other uh, field that's dominated by a minority or that's not dominated, Um, just to be open to everything and uh, do your research. So since both of you and your company is built around great relationships, how can people reach out to you and connect either to learn more or do some of the research that Amanda's talking about to see if flying is for them? What's the best way for people to reach you? So they can find us on the internet at flyinghighagainllc.com and they'll see a list of our instructors. Uh, They can also reach us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. We're, We're we're trying to showcase and highlight experiences as they happen over social media platforms, trying to make real-time connections. And I think we've been really successful in that because, again, with our instructors, we've been blessed to have great pilots, great teachers, and also uh, people who are really adept in social media. And being able to capture the moment and sharing that stuff has, has been a really powerful tool. So they can find us on the internet. They can find us uh, on Facebook as well as Instagram. 
uh, or they can just give me a phone call. As you can tell, I like to talk. <laughs> okay. So we're going to put links to all of that in the show notes and in the promo information. So if you're listening and you're thinking, what did he just say? It will be um, available to you. You just need to go to the notes in the podcast and you'll find those. So with that, I want to thank both of you so much for taking time today to be part of our No Labels, No Limits podcast, because it's really all about breaking through limitations and not accepting excuses for things being hard or difficult or requiring time and focus. So I want to thank you both again. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you for giving us the opportunity to showcase what we're doing and uh, also putting the spotlight on these amazing instructors like Amanda and JC. They're the ones who are making it happen. Uh, Without these guys, our flight school wouldn't exist. So thank you for allowing us to share with people what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week's edition of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. We hope you liked what you heard, and if you did, we ask that you go over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share. And until next time, have a great week living a no labels, no limits, and no excuses life.